You're listening to the Heart Picker Podcast. I'm Lara, and this is episode five. Today's going to be a different episode. Today's going to be very different to what I've done before because I'm going to be honest, I do not like doing the same thing again and again and again and again. And I'm sort of sick of the interview style <laughs> because I am feeling I am feeling that I'm in a rut. I am tired. I don't know why I chilled this weekend. I slept yesterday. I after my early English class in the morning that I teach my, my little online job, I went to sleep and I slept for three hours and I had a very slow day. And today I'm just feeling meh about everything. Just yucky. I don't know what, I can't describe what it is. I just feel like everything I'm doing sucks and I'm very self-conscious at the moment. Now, the good thing is that, I mean, before, if I felt this way, I mean like a year ago, if I felt this way, or even just a few months, I would just stay in my bed all day and not do anything and then feel worse. But... Now I have this podcast and that means I have to be accountable, which is actually great. I can't just sit in my bed all day, even though it's what I want. Ugh, I just want to be in my bed all day today and I, I want to cry and play sad music. But I got to think about this week's episode because it's not prepared. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's the Mercury retrograde thing. I'm not a huge astrology freak, but I do like reading up on it from time to time and uh, apparently that causes delays I'm not an expert guys so this might be embarrassing but um it may cause delays and miscommunication and like unnecessary drama and a lot of emotional reactivity behaviors so be aware of that I'm being very aware of it because I can feel how sensitive I am right now and how um low I'm feeling on myself when I posted the Sunday podcast episode I'd been listening to that damn episode so much that I was like I'm so sick of talking about traveling and spirituality and how amazing it is and meditation and uh, I'm just not feeling it right now but this is common right we all have our ups and downs but it's I feel like it's even more challenging when you're an artist and when you're a creator and you're on your own and you have all these dreams and these goals to make it but there's so much competition I mean there are so many podcasts out there this is like not a unique podcast at all I'm very aware of that and there are so many photographers and so many amazing artists and sometimes when you're pushing and like you're it's like being in a canoe and and you're um rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and you're trying to get to your goal but sometimes you just get tired when you see no no results and I'm talking I'm I'm I gotta call bullshit on myself because I have seen results I mean I've gotten pretty good responses from people and I'm really happy about that but you know I wish I cared more about like or I wish I was better at this whole marketing audience thing and, and raising this podcast because I want so many people to listen to it, not because of an ego thing. I don't want to be famous. It's not my goal, but I do want people to, I want for this content to reach people so that I can help them. <laughs> Anyways, I haven't been focusing on the numbers at all. So it's really not that 
um, that has me down. It's just this overall mood and feeling just no energy, being tired, feeling like I, like I suck, like I'm just tired of my own self right now and everything I have to say and I'm tired of the topics. I'm tired of, I feel like I've been a broken record talking about traveling and my trip and blah, 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 oh, enough. And I thought, you know what? Um, why not just turn this into an episode and document this, record this? Because I did want this to be my little audio diary and I wanted to provide a space where people could listen to me and feel related and and hopefully get something out of this, whether it's inspiration or motivation or just simply feeling like they're not alone. And, and that's why I haven't been interviewing a lot of like very known famous people even though I have a lineup of people and even I have episodes from well-known artists here in Venezuela that I, I want to get out but it's not the time because my priority isn't really getting famous really fast I'm fine with like slow steady growth my priority is just delivering helpful content in a way that isn't like me being a cheerleader motivational speaker for you in a way that you feel like we're both or we're all actually, we're all, not just you and me, because there's more than you listening to me. <laughs> but um, we're all making it together. We're all fighting together to make it. Um, that's what I'm trying to achieve here through this podcast. It's exciting because I like doing different things and I like challenges and I, I get bored easily, which is why I'm probably doing so many things, not just like a photographer or an visual artist but I gotta get myself involved in oh now I'm gonna write a book now I'm gonna do a podcast and I'm trying to be very consistent as well that's the challenge of having a lot of interest but I think it mostly has to do with the fact that I get bored easily and the moment I fall into like a routine and everything's the same and I'm doing the same work every bloody week I get exhausted that's why I can't you know sustain a freaking job I wish I was not like this I seriously wish I could be better with uh, maintaining stability because I, I terrify myself with this. I'm like, uh, am I going to be hard to be married to? Like, how am I going to marry one person for the rest of my life if I get bored easily? So these are just like random thoughts that come up on my little 26-year-old brain. Not little, not little, my big, big 26-year-old brain. Don't be little yourself, Lara. <laughs> Today I'm going to be talking to two people and I I might just leave the other person for a separate episode because it'll depend on how long that episode is. But first, I'll be talking to my friend Kyle. One thing that um, has been advised to us during quarantine is to talk to people, right? And to talk to your friends and closed ones and close ones, I mean. And uh Kyle is a guy I met during my trip to Asia. I met him in the Vipassana meditation retreat. And we just, uh, we connected right away. We shared uh, another trip after that. We went to an island together with another friend from the retreat. And we stayed friends ever since. We've, we've, we really like to talk to each other about our, what's going on in our lives. We reach to each other for advice. Um, we love talking about spirituality together. I consider him one of my closest friends. And he has very much, like, a lot of interesting stories to share, which I've always wanted to do an episode on. In fact, I've recorded so many conversations that I've had with him because I thought that they would could someday be of use. But today we're going to talk about a lot of things. So I'm looking forward to catching up with him. Let's go to Kyle. Here we go. 
You hear me? Yes, ma'am. How you doing, Laura? Finally. I feel like I'm talking to a stranger. I don't know. It's been so long. Maybe I am a stranger. You even sound like a stranger. I do? Now you're making <laughs> me feel like a stranger. Hello, I Kyle. Nice leave. to meet you. <laughs> this nice is, to meet you, too. This is Lara, a girl you met one time at a Vipassana retreat who you flirted with the last day of the retreat. The last day? I think you mean the entire time. No, the last day. <laughs> I was just really bad at it the first nine days. Maybe. Yeah, if you call like trying to make out with someone in a ferry like filled with people and peter right there kind of bad then yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> how you how been how are you dude so you have a new girlfriend i do That's so exciting yeah man it's it is exciting and uh it's cool it's new i've never really had uh i've had one girlfriend in the past uh, we were long distance for quite a quite a portion of it too um and yeah it's just kind of a new experience for me it's awesome so how did you meet her i met her through the friends group that i have now a bunch of raw vegans and um we just started kind of dating right around when quarantine hit and uh it turned out to be pretty pretty nice so wait, Lara, I have to, I have to stop you for a second. Are you, is this podcast mode? Are we doing a podcast right now? Or are no, this no. catching up? Like, like, this is c catching up. I okay. Like, I'll use, I'll use some of it, but obviously the girl stuff has nothing to do with the podcast. It's okay. <laughs> okay, good, cool, cool. You can, I'm like, yeah, you're safe. <laughs> is this on the record? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, you have like your podcast voice on, like, all serious. <laughs> Oh wait, I don't want a podcast voice, but maybe I do have. Does, do you have a podcast voice? I don't know. I guess you'd have to listen and tell me. But you've been too busy falling in love to like listen to my podcast or whatever. Dude, I know. I'm so. <laughs> I, I just realized actually when I when I logged on that I haven't listened to your podcast yet. I was like, I'm gonna bust his balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please break my balls. No, I, you can't do that because I have a girlfriend now. But I get it. I get it. When you when you meet someone and you like fall in love, I don't know if you're in love, but but still, when you meet someone new and it's like exciting, like your legit girlfriend and boyfriend, how do you have that conversation? Um, I was pretty open up front, like that. I'm, I am afraid of commitment, <laughs> like, um. I was very open about that and she was okay with it and uh, uh, she I guess we decided she decided that she, she wanted to still hang out with me despite that and then it just it started with me being exclusive um, and then so I said like okay I won't hook up with anyone else and then from there I was like well at this point you're pretty much my girlfriend. And that's how it happened. It was very high school. You have the conversation like, hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? Yeah, I was I was like, what, oh, I, okay, so we quarantined, we self-quarantined because, did you know I had the coronavirus? No! <laughs> yeah, I got it, it was great. Well, duh, you haven't respected quarantine, so you were one of the... Exactly. I but, don't know how to call you, but... 
shame on you. No, it's Wait, not and shame did you get on me. really sick? Did no, you get really sick? It wasn't it wasn't bad at all. It's not worth I'm strongly against extreme um quarantine measures. Like taking away parks and beaches is not the way to do this. And then for some reason like how are we supposed to not go to parks and beaches but then Walmart is okay. You know what I mean? Like it totally defeats the purpose. I know. I know. And now I guess bars and restaurants are opening, is that right? I get I think so. I I honestly have no idea. You've been too busy falling in love. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so do you not want the girl stuff to be on the podcast? I don't I think I don't care. fine. No, it's what fine. What we said so far? It's fine. Okay, yeah. cuz it's juicier this way. So okay. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, it sounds like you're like before you know it, you're gonna be like, "Welcome to Lara." <laughs> you know what I mean? You're listening to the Heart Pickup Podcast. This is Lara speaking. <laughs> we we have to have like an introduction on like how we met. How do we know each other? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Do you want to do it, or do you want like me to do it? A brief one. You you do it. I sort of joked around about it in the beginning. Okay. You, you go ahead. Sure. So, let's see, we both were in Thailand, and we went to a meditation retreat, and uh, it was a 10-day meditation retreat, and I forget, where where was it, Lara? Mm. Do you remember? Suratani? Suratani, Suratani. that's right. So, we were, uh, we were expected to be totally silent, no reading, no, no uh, phones, nothing for 10 days straight. And on the first day, I remember I saw this cute girl walk in. <laughs> oh, the first day? Yeah, But yeah. you didn't talk to me the entire time. Well, you didn't even make eye contact with me in the entire time. What are you talking about? You, you, you talked to me the last day, the ninth day. In fact, Kyle, let me just say that I thought you were cute probably around day five. And you were flirting with another very cute blonde girl. <laughs> And I was jealous. I was looking at you from a distance like, fuck. What? You know? And then at on day nine, you 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 approach, like you started making eye contact with me and like gestures towards me and stuff. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, <laughs> if my girlfriend ever hears this, she's going to crack up right now because this is. Oh, so so we can still exactly. speak openly and like flirt a little because we've always flirted a little. Yeah. Is yeah, that yeah. like or is our conversation going to change to like. A more formal tone now she might get mad a little bit but she understands that that's part of my personality um, but is she gonna listen to this yeah she not, What's her name? Um, i don't know venus i actually have no <gasps> idea what. well with a name like that girl you got nothing to be jealous for what the hell that's an amazing name <laughs> i love it that's so sexy you have to send me a picture i want to see if she's She's probably gorgeous. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Hi, Venus. Nice to meet you, Venus, in case you're listening to this. I flirt, but I'm a flirt, everybody, and with with my close friends. It's okay. you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, that's good. So, so on the first day, I was like making... We made eye contact like as you were standing in line to sign up for the thing. And I was like, shit. I was like, shit. This I don't this remember that. You don't, well, okay, so I definitely, like, was 
constantly looking at you you even mentioned it once you were like yeah you were always like trying to make eye contact with me and i didn't want to talk to anyone or day like, nine day nine dude or day eight or something it was like the final days yeah then that's the time i talked i was like almost done with this shit okay yeah you talked day 10 but like i think day eight or day nine i remember it was like just at the end Mm-hmm. Where you like made eye contact with me while we were drinking hot chocolate. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. The six that p.m. Were... time. That's how I remember it. So you so you felt jealous over that? Uh, I think her name was Nicole. Yeah, she she <laughs> was gorgeous. I mean, I, I I don't. She was gorgeous. Yeah, I remember like seeing you like gesture with her a lot, and I was like, they're not respecting the fucking <laughs> silence thing and like not flirting. Stop it. <laughs> And then I was really surprised that you ended up talking to me at the end. And yeah, because you guys seem to have a lot of chemistry from afar. Like I thought you, yeah, I thought that you totally, you probably did like her, didn't you? Like she was gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, she was cute. She was, she was definitely cute. But I was, at the end I was like, hmm, should I stay with her and, uh, and do the, the workout stuff? Or they were going to do Tai Chi, I think. Or should I follow Lara? And I was like, Lara. Seriously? Yeah. What made you yeah. pick me? I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I was into you. Because of time. my looks or my personality? My awesome personality. <laughs> Mostly your radiance and absolute beauty. I think the two are connected, right? Like when a woman is so um, radiant it's connected. The two are connected. I feel so special now. <laughs> now, now we got to talk about Venus a little bit so that okay. she doesn't get mad. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I don't think she should listen. I don't think I'm going to tell her about this podcast. <laughs> hmm. No, you can tell work? her. All right. Well, I, I guess I'm going to be candid. So I flirt a lot. <laughs> That's like what I do. I know that I do that. And um, it bothers her. And that's been like the one thing that's really come up. But yeah, so she's kind of been working on that. And um, I've also been learning too. Like it, if I'm in a relationship, it's, I, I guess I don't know fully if I'm in the wrong or not though. That's the thing. But like sometimes I'll just be flirty with people including men right (laughs) like i'm just flirty to everyone um but sometimes it bothers her i think honestly i think it's like i've i can speak about this because i'm the jealous type and i felt well i've just told you like i didn't even know you and i was jealous about you flirting (laughs) with that nicole and um but it, it's all like, it's just insecurity. It's just like, is he flirting with her? Does that mean that she's like, does she like her more than me? And you start comparing yourself. Is she prettier than me? Does, uh, And it just comes from insecurity. Because when you work on the security stuff, and I think this is a conversation that you have to have with who you're dating. Like, if you like flirting, I think there's nothing wrong with that as long as you say it like hey i'm a flirtatious person this is something i learned from phyllis you need to listen to that podcast and so does she okay she she talks a lot about relationships in the in part one and she says you know like the whole monogamy thing like we have to behave and 
we can have a conversation and just like the whole point of relationships is to grow together and you need friction for that so you need to analyze like do I care about flirting is this something that's natural to me and am I gonna be like maybe in the beginning this is what happened to me with my last relationship um in the beginning I was like yeah he's right I should stop talking to other um men and not have any guy friends and like I think I wasn't even talking to you that much during that time and trying not to flirt because I'm also a naturally flirty person but then by the end of it I got suffocated because you're not being yourself anymore you're not you're not flirting to hit on someone you're flirting because that's just the way you speak because when you connect with someone and you like someone that doesn't mean you want to necessarily hook up with them or you want to date them you know you can be faithful and it's just the way you are so I felt like I I was wasn't myself anymore I was suffocated and that's not a good place to be that's why I think that it's good to have that conversation where you're like um if this is how you you usually are that you express like hey you need to know that this doesn't mean that I like anybody else more than I like you. Interesting. Yeah. So we did have that conversation and yeah, I've 100%. Wow. That's, that's interesting that you went through the same thing. Um, because I, now it's like, we've talked about it a lot. We've actually communicated really well and it's been, it's been extremely positive, Good. but since those conversations and since kind of like working through that stuff, I've been more conscious of when I'm flirting and like tried to stop and like felt guilty about it. And like, you know, also one of her friends talks to me a lot and we just have a good friendship. But yeah, we flirt a little bit together. Um, But nothing like I'm not attracted to her at all. Like that's that's true. I'm not attracted to this other friend, but we just have like this fun banter and I've been like holding back and not doing that and it feels cruel. It feels like I'm like being mean and like no. trying to not be friends with her, you know? Yeah, don't do that because it it in the beginning it might work, but from my experience it came back to haunt me and that affected the relationship. So uh, the fact that you have that communication with her is great and the fact that she can admit to it is awesome. Like the fact that she can tell you I feel uncomfortable or I feel uncomfortable around this person specifically. Like the fact that she can say that to you is a big step. And also, just because it makes her uncomfortable doesn't mean you have to stop. It just means like she has some work to do. As long as you're like not hitting on someone. Let's define flirting. What is flirting? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm weird. not sure. Should I Google it? Just for yeah, fun? Yeah, Google flirting. Okay, so it says behave as though attracted to or trying to attract someone but for amusement rather than for serious intentions interesting so what would what would it be called when you have serious intentions then well for example we open this conversation like saying oh yeah i found you gorgeous oh yeah i found you cute oh yeah you try to make out with me haha like so it sounds (laughs) like we're flirting but um if we had serious intentions we would be like scheduling a flight to go see each other. You know what I mean? Like right, right, right. having intentions of being together. So that's yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. different. So that's see, that was interesting. Just reading that definition 
because mm-hmm. I used to feel the same way as you. Again, like I felt guilty and I hated when another person flirted, like a person I was with flirted with another girl. But I never read that meat definition. Now that I've read it, as long as like we're being honest and we say, I, yeah, I'm flirtatious, but I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm attracted to that person. Just the fucking meaning of the word says it. So why should mm-hmm. we feel guilty? You know right. what I mean? Like maybe we just, um, I don't know. I think I'm done. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, all I had to say. Yeah, yeah, there's some stuff that, that, that is, uh, is to be explored there. Because it definitely is part of my personality, you know? Well, um, that's the thing. You can't um, feel guilty for that because I it'll come back and it'll really affect the relationship and I don't want it. I don't want that to happen. So um, think about that. Yeah, and it, it comes down to the fact that like really everything, including relationships, is a spiritual journey because you have to learn... You have to learn to self-reflect and everything you do and like relationships is such a deep, a deep one. It, I've, I've grown a ton just from the three months that I've been with Venus and I feel like I'm learning lessons that I didn't learn in high school actually because I never had a girlfriend in high school. Of course. Yeah. And course. yeah. So I feel like I'm learning those lessons like, how to be a good boyfriend which is like so basic <laughs> you know no, it's actually so not basic um i'm reading a book called the game of desire or the book of desire something like that and she hmm. she's an amazing resource for she's a sexologist and has a youtube channel she's perfect because she talks about things that we all need to consider to have a successful relationship like um your your five languages the love languages do you know about that yeah what's your love language uh wait let, let me guess let me guess let me guess wait i don't think language. i figured it out yet actually let me pull it really? up really five languages ha, have you I'm, I'm not there yet i let think i i know like just based on reading the five languages i oh well, well, oh okay i do i, I, I do know. know i do know i do know okay so you tell me wait don't tell me okay i'll guess yours you guess mine all right you go first i think yours are Physical? Could there could there be more than one? <laughs> yeah, I have like an order. Uh. Or top three? Yeah, what are the top, top three? Top three. Number one. Physical touch. Number two, words <laughs> yeah. of affirmation. Number three, acts of service. Interesting. Or, or acts of service second, and then words of affirmation. I think acts of service are pretty high, and also time. Um, is time, time? I, I that was my second guess but I don't know but you're really like direct about your words so I thought words of affirmation would have been I think that's how I show love the best but I don't need I don't feel like I need constant words of affirmation to feel loved fair enough okay does that make sense but yeah I guess there's two ways for everyone you know like how you show love best and how you receive love best or what you yeah. like to receive yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so probably touch, time, and acts of service would be my top three. Okay, cool. All right, so you are definitely, let's see, what are you? Wait, what are they? There's touch, time, acts of service, gifts, and what else? Words of affirmation, quality time, giving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. Okay, okay. So you are probably 
gonna be acts of service is gonna be up there Keep going. um touch is probably up there and is is either gift no words of affirmation yeah i think that's it i i'm also in between words of affirmation and quality time it's kind of hard yeah i think they both have like a an equal place but I'm so independent that I don't need like a lot, a big chunk of time with someone. Mm -hmm. Same. I, I think I used to need that, but now that I'm busy, I don't need it as long as, but I like the words of affirmation for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so weird. I have the exact same thing. I used to need the time, but now I'm definitely more independent and like, I don't need as much time. And for sure touch. Like I hate it when someone doesn't touch me. You know, yeah, like hug yeah, me, me and like caress me and like cuddle me and grab me and blah, blah, blah. Like I love being touched. That's true. Yeah, ah, same here. Interesting. And then there's uh, there's also five ways to apologize, I think, or something like that. Like your apology language. That's an uh, interesting oh, one. I've never yeah. actually heard this. I'm looking it up. Uh, apology. She, she, she mentions it in the book. There's even like a quiz that you can take. How to figure out your apology language. That's another one. I won't get into that one, but. It's by the same guy, I think, Gary Chapman, or is that a different guy? I'm not sure. I'm learning a lot because I, I'm using this single time to better myself and my dating skills, so I can be a better girlfriend to whoever comes next in the wow. far away, far away future. I, I want to try <laughs> to stay single for a year at least. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Let's see if that happens. That's what my brother says. So screw you. <laughs> <laughs> screw you. No, anyway. dude, it's just you, you're you, like, you're a loving and you're also, you're a beautiful young woman, man. I'm sure you get a lot of guys hitting on you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But uh, it's so hard finding someone that you connect with and like instantly. And also, you have to have the mental space for it. Like, I, I feel like I'm not emotionally available right now. Hmm. Interesting. You have to be open for it. Yeah. Like, I just want someone who will be available to me on a Saturday night and will, who I can have fun with and, like, who will respect me too and be nice to me, but just, like, no strings attached kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. And, like, won't get mad at me. Like, there's just no commitment. Like, we won't get mad at each other if, if we're not available, uh, but I, I'm finding it hard to be like intimate, like emo, like the, I used to be so open before, like very intimate mm -hmm. and emotionally available. And now I'm, I'm not because I just don't want to go through that pain again that I went through before. Oh yeah. I definitely understand that. You get Such attached. You get attached to whoever you date. You know, you mm -hmm. do get attached. Like it's hard. It's impossible to like hang out with someone and spend time with that person and not get attached. It's true. It's true. We talked about this a while ago, like how if you're in a relationship or if, I guess if you're like just seeing someone, even if you say it's not like a, a relationship, you're building a relationship. You know what I mean? It's true. And like, yeah, it's impossible not to. You got to kind of like. I guess that's why the the what you call the fuck boys <laughs> limit their time with a girl and like don't let them meet their families or don't don't hang out with them so much and try to keep it sexual 
Whereas mm. the girl's like, oh, like, I don't use me just for sex. But that's right. what they're trying to do is like not get attached, I guess. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, and like you said, you're not in an emotionally available stage. So like I imagine you're kind of rejecting guys. And it just goes to show you like it's not about them all the time. You know, it's it's also really about you. You're going through time when you're not emotionally available. You're healing from a breakup, which is really painful. Even if you're the one who broke up with someone, like it's really painful. And so you need that space. And so like when someone rejects us, we can be like so hurt but by I'm scared, it. I'm scared on how how much should I share on this thing? I want to share more. It, I want to share more, yeah, but I'm scared. More. I'm scared. Like I don't know who could be listening and, and then they know. No one's listening right me. now except <laughs> me. That's true. Um, yeah, I think what one thing I've learned is how contradictory we can be too. Like we can be this, we're walking contradictions. I mean, mm -hmm. like I say that, like I'm, I'm emotionally unavailable, but at the same time, I don't want to spend a Saturday night alone necessarily. Mm -hmm. I'm trying, I'm, I'm enjoying giving more priority to friends. I've, I've used to never give priority to my friends. And now like, I would be happier sometimes just FaceTiming with a girlfriend all night on a Saturday rather than like going out or like for Ryan's birthday. I used to be the girl who would invite a guy for just to not be alone that night. And like this time I was like, I'm not going to invite any because I am dating a lot, but I'm not. A, it's like very casual with everyone. Like I haven't hooked up with anyone really. And um, I used to be the girl who'd be like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to see which one of these guys I invite. And this time I didn't. And it felt so good to just like be with my friends and family and like dance and not worry about a guy. Whoa, that's interesting. So you've never experienced that before. Honestly, not that much because I have been obsessed with love and finding that perfect relationship since I was a freaking 10 year old. And like, oh, and, oh my God, dude. Yeah. And what made, what made you, what made that a priority in your life? Do you know? I, it, this is this is where I should do some therapy. Um, maybe it had to do. It probably had to do with uh, my parents, like not seeing a loving relationship between them, and like they were always fighting, and there was like a distance there. So it made me crave that love that I made that I didn't see in them. And then as I grew up, it made me fear that I would never find that love because then I saw my mom go into another relationship that I think is pretty destructive and um, mm. that lasted a long time so I was like and then my aunt for like the women in my family most of them um, ha, you know have not been successful with like a long-lasting relationship so my role models I never saw anyone with a long-lasting relationship all I saw was divorces and I was scared of like oh my god what if I don't meet I, I wasn't scared of yeah, I was scared of not meeting someone that I loved enough to hold a lasting relationship with them. So I would force it a lot of the time, except for one relationship. Mm. I forced it. And then even in that one relationship, we both went really quickly rather than like calming down for like our age. Like we went in and let, lived together for three years. We went too fast. Mm. And, um, and I was like set on that person which I think also played a part in, the, in destroying the relationship because I, I was like, if this doesn't, if we break up, that's the end of me because you're the one. 
And that's terrible. That's codependency. Whoa, yeah. Anyway, yeah, relationships. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Let's go to another topic. Okay, yeah, let's do it. I guess I, I, I'm, it's, it's kind of repetitive for me, but this is a podcast for people. So I'm going <laughs> to, it's not just you and me talking. Even right, though it's, right. so, it's so hard. It's so hard to like remember that we're on a podcast. But uh, I want to, I want people to know why it is that you decided to go to Southeast Asia and India. Hmm. <laughs> oh man, that's my answers are, are going to make you laugh. Well, I, I went to Southeast Asia for good reason because there was um, not many meditation retreats that were open in the U.S. or really anywhere else that I could find, and it, within a short period of time. And so I was on the Vipassana website actually and looking up available spaces and the only one that i could find in like a country that i wanted to visit was in thailand and i did this while i was in ecuador when i was really sick in ecuador and i said like okay i need to like i need to pivot and turn this from kind of like an adventure into a spiritual journey and so I signed up for that meditation retreat and I sent a letter to a monastery all in my hostel from Ecuador, right while I was in Ecuador. And um, I got a plane ticket all in one day, a plane ticket back home. And so that's what made me go to Thailand is really just, I was kind of called there, like Thailand's, so like when you're making decisions on where to go, during your midlife crisis journey you'll you'll find yourself called places do you know what i mean lara that's interesting yeah yeah for sure so like i kind of felt drawn to thailand thailand would come up more than once you know it would come up more frequently than other places and so it kind of indicated to me that maybe thailand was the next step and i just took it i went with it and it ended up being by far the best experience of my life. So I made the right decision. And ironically, the meditation retreat that I signed up for that drew me to Thailand was not the meditation retreat that I ended up having a um, major breakthroughs in. Um, the, once I got to Thailand and I went to... Uh, I went around in Bangkok and did like touristy stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I can't wait another few months to go to the Vipassana retreat. And so I found the Saratani retreat that we went to, Swan Mok. And I just said, okay, I'm going to go there and, and do a practice one. And ironically, that one was my practice one. And to this day, that was the best 10 days of my life. I don't, what about you? Honestly, that trip was amazing. And the, yeah, those 10 days were the most life changing ever. I came out a new person. Like I went in, you, that there is a clear sign. When you said that I, that we made eye contact in the line. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact that I don't remember that is a clear sign on how disconnected I was. Mm. 
because I can't believe I didn't remember that. How did I not remember? I remember in that line feeling lonely as hell and like not knowing anyone and not seeing anybody. Like I don't remember seeing, looking at anybody in the eye. Like I didn't, that's how bad I was when I went in. And when I went out, I was like a whole different person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually did see that change. Plus that eclipse. Dude. That was an, an amazing thing. The eclipse was so crazy, right? So it, we got to tell the story. Of the eclipse? Yeah. Like that, just that made it like a movie scene. How magical it was that our first night at a meditation retreat, we're all fucking scared. I was terrified. I was like so terrified that I wouldn't be able to make it um, the 10 days. And the fact that that first night we all got, we, everybody was looking at it. No one was speaking. And like sharing that silence. We talked about this many times before, but I really want people to listen to this because I, I love our conversations on this. But how a group of people could share silence and feel closer even, you know? Yes. Yeah. I think that's we the all weird felt part. so close and connected to each other. Yeah. That is the that is the really weird part. And uh, eye contact, um, how powerful a simple eye contact exchange could be. That I had so you you probably did too. We had so many mm -hmm. of those, or like simple gestures. But I remember sharing that experience. Like we were all the women in my because the women or men are separated. The women, all of us, were like sitting on the grass, just looking at that. I'd never seen that in my life. I didn't think it was possible to see that with just like mm -hmm. that with like the naked eye. The the lunar eclipse. Yeah, I never had an experience where I could see that so clearly. I never did either. Yeah, it was so weird. I remember when I first went, I had to decide to go to the full moon party in Kotao or go to this meditation retreat. And there was a cute girl that I wanted to follow to the full moon party. But I was like, you know what? I'm here to do meditation. I'm going to do the... I'm going to do the, the meditation retreat. And I got there and I was like, all right, this is going to be a breeze. It's just practice. You know, um, it's super chill, whatever. I've been in monasteries before. And that first night when the moon went dark, basically, I like asked myself, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> is this going to be really like, I'm going to face my dark side? And that's exactly what it was. It was really, it was foreshadowing for me. Because I mean, that's yeah. exactly what I did. I remember you said it in the speech because, uh, again, I'm trying to explain to the listeners here. The last night we have sharing night, which I thought, and I think a lot of us thought, was going to be us speaking in groups together. But no, sharing night is getting up on a freaking stage and talking with a microphone. <laughs> and uh, I remember when you gave your speech uh or you're sharing but it, it was like everybody was giving like a speech um mm -hmm. it was a perfect way to start the whole like this eclipse like that this is facing our dark sides yeah yeah Which it was. It's, it's crazy that that's exactly what happened too but you said something interesting there i remember when i told phyllis um in the in her in the very first episode i asked her like how was it when you when you arrived to Thailand, like, what did you learn? And she's like, well, I guess the biggest challenge was realizing I wasn't there to meet another man. 
And I was like, whoa, that's so true for all of us. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I may have missed that lesson. Well, no, because you, you did follow your path. <laughs> like you went, you just said it. You wanted to follow another cute girl to a party. And instead you went, you stuck to your plan. Right. Yeah, that's true. And same with me. You did the same thing with me. Like you kept your distance. Yeah, I think I, I kept my distance mainly because I was still closed off to myself. Like as much change as I, I had made at that point, I still was very, I don't, I don't know the word for it. I guess you could say ashamed of who I was. Like for the first time I had broken through um, that shame to, 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 to feel love for the first time on that meditation retreat. But still, I mean, for the first time in your entire life, you feel love. Like you still got a lot of learning to do at that point. And that's probably why I w did keep my distance a little bit is because I was still journeying. I think there's a book called Siddhartha and I have not read it, but it, it keeps coming up. I probably should read it. Um, Siddhartha? Siddhartha? Yeah, that's a good one. I read it in high school. Oh, you've read it? Oh, so nice. I, I, should, I want to read it again though. Yeah. Um, so the guy, so I don't know if you remember this, but the guy meets the love of his life, but the love of his life like doesn't want to be with him because she says he's still on the spiritual journey and you can't end your journey midway. Isn't this, I think, you're not thinking of the Paulo Coelho book, are you? I don't know. I don't know. Um, What's it called? Fuck, 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 fuck. The Alchemist? It might be The Alchemist, yeah. Because I don't think there was that... I don't remember that in Siddhartha. I remember it, remember it in The Alchemist where, yeah, he fell in love and he was like, I want to stay with this girl and um, fuck this journey. <laughs> and um, and that, that was, I think, one of the most important parts of the book because he said about the guy, the alchemist guy guiding him said, um, you need to follow your heart. Like, this is going to this is going to destroy your marriage if you stay and marry this girl, because eventually you, you can't ignore your heart. So your heart told you to go on this journey. You haven't finished it. So right now you're you're going to be in love. You'll stay. You'll get married, blah, 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 blah. But eventually you'll hear that scream again. And that's going to affect, I think, further your marriage. So he, he pushed him. You got to go and you got to trust that this woman will be there for you. And she did. She was like, you got to you got to go too. she was also very supportive of that. Right. That's exactly the situation I'm talking about. So I guess it was The Alchemist. But yeah, it pretty much, I, I get that. I get, I get where they're coming from because you, if you do settle down and you haven't finished your journey, I mean, you never really finish your journey, but you know, if you haven't, if it doesn't come to a close, if something doesn't come to a close, then you end up uh, always wondering what could have been, you know what I mean? Yeah, so that was good. You you did, that's what I mean. You did stick to your gut. Like, you did learn your lesson. Yeah, yeah. You stayed I totally, faithful to that. Totally learned my lesson. And then I immediately went to India to follow that girl from the Kotal party. Oh, <laughs> I don't know the story. <laughs> you never <laughs> so told me this. Yeah, that's, so I, I basically was like, yeah, yeah, I'm drawn to India. And so that that girl was going to India and I, and she was like, oh, I'm leaving India after I got there. And she went to uh, 
to oh man sri lanka and i uh i was like okay now i'm called to, to go to sri lanka <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> fair enough that's a confession right there yeah that is a confession but you know what yeah it was it was dumb because it ended up being uh i was trying to convince myself basically that i was drawn to sri lanka when really i was just chasing after this girl i was lying to myself Interesting. and and so like when we got there there was just that mismatched expectations and i did end up learning a lot from her but you know we didn't end up together or anything do you still talk to um, her now yeah okay. yeah so you're friends we're friends, yeah. That's good. Are you like as close as you and me are? Mm, no. Okay, good. See, <laughs> I am so jealous. <laughs> You're See, about to get jealous. I love, I love embracing my jealousy though. Like I yes. love, I get like that with my girlfriends too. Like I, I noticed how okay, this is not even like a guy thing. I get like that with my girlfriends too. It's a Scorpio thing. It's just in my sign. But I love embracing mm -hmm. it and like just saying it out loud because it's like it's a flattery. If I'm jealous with you, it means that like there's that I really, really care about you. So now I it's like, OK, I'm just flattering you, but I'm, I'm not going to act out on it and get all crazy. But now right. when, because before I used to hide it because I was ashamed of it interesting yeah and it, it's funny how whatever we push down becomes this like distorted fucked up version of us that oh, create that yes. controls us i used to be so crazy with my my very first serious relationship in my jealousy yeah like poor well, what guy. did you do i would i hated he always wanted to go out i never wanted to go out and i i would make like i was i'd be like a fucking kid on a Saturday night or a Friday night, I'd be like, how dare you want to go out instead of be with me and watch a movie with me? And come on, we live together. Fucking Lara. Like, I, I want to scream at 20, what, 22-year-old Lara for being like that or 21-year-old Lara. <laughs> this is tough. We should get, okay, let me get back on track. I, I, this was going to be about, like, you, not us sharing. Yeah, stuff. it is It is going to be tough, though. We've We've said a lot of really revealing things. Yeah, like I, a lot of people know my ex here, so fuck. <laughs> that's unfair. That's that's bad. I might edit that out. We'll see. But um, I don't know. At the same time, it's like you know, it's all about being honest. But I like it. Yeah, I want people yeah. to listen to this. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so when you after your trip, what were the first? Like, what were your three big lessons? Like, in what ways did those? What in what three ways? Main ways did you change? Um, I could, I could tell you that. Can I tell the story of my trip? Yeah. I've never really done that. That's the whole point of this. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've never really done it and I kind of want to do it. So, um, so the reason why I went on the trip, probably pretty similar to you is like, I, uh, I was an engineer and I, my whole life, I had just done what I was told pretty much, which was go and get a good job. And I became an engineer because my mom was like, oh, you like biology and you also, you know, you want to make money. So combine the two, you could be an engineer and a biologist because you're smart. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Sure, I'll do it. And that's pretty much how I agreed to do biomedical engineering as my major. And so I just pretty much went through my whole life 
doing that and just doing what was prescribed for me and not taking control of my own life. I wanted to just get back to watching Netflix pretty much or get back to playing video games. And uh, I ended up in a job and building out this whole life for myself where on the surface, it looked like I was doing pretty well. I had a really great job. I had great hobbies. I had a diploma. I had all this stuff, but I was so fucking miserable. I was alone. I was so lonely. I remember I moved to New Jersey um, and I was 20, like 23 at the time. And maybe, maybe 24, I think I was 24. And so I was right above the age where, you know, I I was out of college. I was starting to be an adult and moving to a new place where I didn't have any contacts or any friends. It was really hard for me to meet anyone, especially when I gave all of my energy to my work. And I ended up being pretty much isolated for a year and a half. I really had no friends during that time. Wow. Yeah, it was it was miserable. And I think a lot of adults right now, a lot of men in particular, are feel that way. They feel really isolated. Um maybe the more independent men, maybe the the men that always got good grades in school and weren't super social or super popular. And like I I, I, I still hadn't learned those lessons that I should have really learned in school um, because I was always closed off to myself. I I had a very strong ego, strong ego defenses. And so I was kind of like playing out all these outdated um, ways of living. Anyways, I ended up getting that pain disorder and it got really bad at that time. And I was, what was your pain disorder? Cause I think it had a name. Yeah. It was ankylosing spondylitis. And I had that since college and it, it's really the, the doctors will tell you that like chronic pain is caused by this and that. And, oh, you know, you're, you've got a herniated disc or you got this and this and that. But if you actually look at what's going on, it's most of the time caused by stress. The pain is caused by stress. And in my case, the stress was deep, deep emotional and spiritual stress. So it was more than just like, oh, I got to meet deadlines for work. It was, I didn't even know myself. I rejected myself. That's so stressful. And so I, um, I saw online that some guy was talking about how pain is caused by, by repressed emotions and stress. And so I reached out to him and he set me on the journey for the, amazingly astoundingly it's just almost pure luck um that i found him i just did like a a google search and decided to reach out to him and um over the next like year i would say i did a lot of digging into myself i got a therapist i started meditating a little bit more i started working out a little bit more i started watching like psychological videos and studying psychology And at some point I said, I'm not happy in my job. I'm not happy with what I'm doing in my life and where I am and who I am. And so I quit my job and said I was going to be a life coach. And at the time saying I was going to be a life coach was pretty much 
an excuse for me to to go find my own path. Um, I was I was like, oh yeah, I've I've experienced some relief with turning inwards and doing work on myself, so uh, I'm going to help others do the same. But I still had some pain, um, so I wasn't really healed. I was just healing, and so I went to Ecuador first. I was actually going to drive around the country, but I started to do that, and I went and camped, and I was still lonely. I realized, like, I was just passing all these gas stations and Walmarts, and, like, the United States is not set up if you want to be a solo traveler. It's... The system that we have set up, the roads, everything's very separate. The the stores, the corporations, all, you know, the 7-Elevens, this and that. How, how are you going to meet people if you're still set in your own ways of walking into a store and not really making eye contact with anyone and buying your groceries and getting the hell out of there? You know, there's no... That's the reason I, I had such a hard time making, like, close good close friends in Canada for that exact same reason. Yeah, right? It's it's like I think it's I think it, there is a, a white a white culture type um type blockage there. I'm a social person and I had such a hard time making close friends. Like I I made maybe one Canadian friend that I I would still call a close friend, but even now it's like so hard to keep in touch with her. Because we're, we're so preoccupied with everything you just said. With like mm-hmm. having a good work life and like working, 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 working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And and so for me at the time, I, you know, the only time you would interact with people was your standard like interacting with the cashier. Or if you wanted to take a risk, you could like reach out and talk to a girl but then you're afraid of rejection so I needed healing in a group I needed to heal these wounds and so that wasn't really an option for me is to just get rejected I I was so afraid of rejection that um I couldn't do it did this happen with like guy friends too though making making men friends I could make men friends but at that time I, I was having trouble making men friends as well because I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't interacting in group. It's I think with men friends, you can you can make them, but you kind of have to be on a team together or be working on something together. Like my friends here in Boston, I've made a lot of men friends, but we either work out together or we jam together or we do something. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but what do you, what do you think, what do you think caused for you to grow up with that mentality of, you know, just work, 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 and like not get to know yourself and not attend to yourself first? Because I think this is a very common problem and we all go through it. What are the issues that you see that are causing that? And how could we be, how could we change that for our, the newer generations and like our future kids, for example? That's a really good question. Um, probably we Americans work too hard. Um, why they why do they work too hard? Because of shame. I, it comes down to shame. We want to feel good enough. 
So we want the cars and the and the money and the houses and the nice stuff. Um, also, I think it goes down to more than that. I think it actually does does get more to more than that because there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with buying a nice car to treat yourself. I think a lot of it is people feel powerless. People don't know their own power and they're afraid. I think it's more fear than shame, actually. They're afraid that they're going to be homeless. They're afraid that they're going to be left in the dust, if that makes sense. No, yeah, totally. Because that's how we've been raised is in from school, you know, go to yeah. get good grades so you can go to a good college so you can get a good job and make good money and get a house. Right. Like I, I was afraid that if I got fired from my job, that I'd be homeless, which is fucking insane. There's so many ways to make money. But I had just been told throughout my childhood, throughout as growing up, like, oh, you better bet, you better fucking get a good job. Pretty much, almost like a threat, you know. I was, af- I was afraid of being homeless, so I would then go to work and be like, if my boss would even look at me wrong, or like not smile at me when I walked in, I'd be like, oh fuck, I'm gonna get fired, you know. For sure. And it comes down to self-esteem and fear. Um, and so anyways, I, I was experiencing all this. I tried to do the, it in the U S and it didn't work. And I just felt like I needed to go deep into like a a culture, another culture. I, I, at the time I was like, Oh, I'm just going to go into the jungle and like have an adventure. Like you see on the movies, I'm going to have like a captain Jack Sparrow adventure down there in Ecuador. Um, and I went and I was actually really scared to go because I started like the day before I left, I was like, oh shit, am I going to get mugged down there? Am I going to get killed? I'm a gringo. And uh, that's another thing. Like it's another thing that Americans are afraid of, of other countries, afraid of third world countries. Um, But actually I got down there and everybody was really nice. And I found the travelers hostels and there was a ton of other solo travelers including solo female travelers like yourself so i arrived at the airport and i thought i could speak spanish because i took high school spanish and within five seconds of being in the ecuadorian airport i realized shit i don't know spanish at all so i totally scrapped all of my plans that i had made and just went to a spanish school in montanita and i stayed there for a month and during that time i relived like all of my college days except without schoolwork and stuff and condensed into a month and it was really healing for me to like be back in an environment with people where I'm interacting with people learning from from others learning from my own reactions to others and also just feeling the love of being in that community of just simply sitting at the picnic tables in the hostel and playing cards with a group of people of men and women just being in that environment is was healing for me just having fun like crazy how much we underestimate how having fun and simply enjoying ourselves is healing yeah 
yeah, that's really all we need, right? And we don't need all this other stuff. Um, and so uh, I did that and I then started, went back off on my own and I started to be alone again and had trouble meeting people again. And I spent two months kind of just wandering around Ecuador, being near the ocean and not, and kind of just starting to dip my toe into like the spiritual aspect of my journey. And then I got food poisoning and got super sick and I was still having pain from that disease. And I just said, fuck it. I'm going to do, I'm going to dive all the way into it. So I went to Thailand to do uh, the meditation retreat. I stayed in the monastery portion for the first three days. Then the official meditation retreat began. And so then we had the, the lunar eclipse. And that was like the beginning of, of magic for me. There was really was like magic that occurred over those 10 days. I remember the first few days I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to like meditate away all of my pain and all of my bad things about me. I'm just going to like meditate myself into being better. <laughs> meditate my issues away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I started doing that and it was good. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm super concentrated. Yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to win. I'm going to beat myself and then by like day three I was like oh my god this is really hard because I couldn't distract myself and I couldn't distract myself from myself so that's the thing about the meditation retreat you probably have the same experience where you there's no dopamine released so you're forced to face with whatever is causing you pain on the inside because mm -hmm. there's there's no way to soothe yourself you can't even we didn't we slept on concrete you know did the girls have to do that too yeah yeah our beds yeah i think that was my biggest fear is like not being able to get a good night's sleep which i didn't i never slept <laughs> well <laughs> um i got used to it but i mean we only got six hours of sleep that's not know, enough for dude. me. I, I would doze off. I, I didn't do well with the meditation part. I did well the first three days, but then I I don't think I meditated because I kept dozing off, dozing off, dozing off because we weren't doing anything that gave us energy. Yeah, we weren't we weren't doing any of that. And so I uh you know, I couldn't eat, we weren't even eating sugar really. No. I remember we would we would have those like sweet drinks at night. You remember those? Those were the, we all, all of us, I think would be like praying that we'd get hot chocolate because we yeah, didn't, we we didn't were eat. Like, oh, I mean, 1130. On. Yeah. 1130 AM was the last fucking meal. I would sneak in bananas in my purse because I was so scared of being hungry. No. But no I never, way. I never ate them. I'd, I'd return them because I, I, di I didn't get hungry. Oh wow! Because we were we weren't using the that. energy, so I didn't Dude. need I didn't get hungry. No, but the hot chocolate at six p.m. Fuck endorphins, man. Those, those were our only <laughs> dopamine, not endorphins. Endorphins. I, yeah. I mean dopamine. I would like get the first cup, suck it down like it was fucking healing magic water, and then get 
as fast as I possibly could fill exactly. out. Like I was just doing the anything lineup. I could. I hated yeah. when when the pot would be finished. I'd be like, fuck. Know, right. <laughs> and and you see like the guys like tilting the pot to just get. The yeah, last everyone's out. like, ah, <laughs> I need the sugar. Yeah, it felt so good to drink that, and it, it was so delicious. Yeah. Yeah, like my lessons were more in the silence part than and in the philosophy than in the actual meditation i want to return so mm. i can i can actually meditate i feel like i would be a lot better now maybe it was yeah. like i was like a total beginner like did you feel you actually meditated i did i did meditate but definitely my biggest learning was through the silence as well mm. and not through, like the biggest breakthroughs that i had were when i would observe my thoughts um outside of meditation and just mm -hmm. kind of walking around doing my things you know yeah. doing chores observing ants yeah yeah so like the first so day three day four were were pretty difficult for me because i started to not be able to distract myself and all of these thought patterns that i had were coming to coming up and i was rejecting them just out of habit I was rejecting myself and that's such a painful process and I didn't realize I was doing it at the time but it, it would manifest as physical pain most of the time and so I remember day five the physical pain got so bad and I remember I was just in my bed that night like on the concrete slab barely able to move and it was so painful and I was just, I just started crying because it was so painful. And I was like, just, I said, I started praying. I hadn't prayed at all pretty much since I had turned atheist back when I was, I was younger. And I started praying like, God, like, please make my pain go away. Please. I will literally do anything you want. I won't be a life coach anymore. I won't like tell people i won't post on facebook that's crazy uh, please please can you define that pain can you like describe what it felt like what kind of pain it was it was like severe back pain i think the worst part of the pain was not the pain itself but the feeling like I, there was something wrong with me oh. and it was the fear that there was something wrong with me but you mean do you mean like something wrong with me as in something serious that's gonna kill you or something wrong with you internally? Like as if that, like I won't be able to walk or like this okay. will be forever. I won't be able to do anything, you yeah, know? Yeah, you're out of control. You have no idea. Yeah, okay. exactly. I think that's most of the time chronic pain is most scary because of that. And it got worse. That's the thing. It got worse because there was no distraction from it. Wow. And so I was like in such severe pain that night and... Um, praying to God and then I remember it started raining and it had never rained during my entire time in Thailand it was dry the entire time and that night was right when this was happening was when it decided to start raining and so I was like whoa I should go out into the rain it's maybe it's maybe it's gonna wash away my pain but damn I'm in so much pain I can't even I don't even want to get up I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to get out of my bed. And so I just laid in my bed, miserable, 
for another like 20 minutes or so and then I said okay fuck it I'm just gonna go out there and like symbolically like wash away my pain and so I as soon as I stepped out of my room this sounds like I'm making this up but it's it's true as soon as I stepped out of my room the rain stopped and I was like what the fuck and I step out onto the lawn um, outside of my room and I look up and right when I look up a single raindrop comes down and hits me on my forehead right in the center of my wow. forehead that's magical it is and I just was so confused at the time didn't know what was going on but I was like oh, maybe that healed me maybe that was a sign and I'm gonna be magically healed and I, will, I go to sleep still in pain and I woke up and I was still in pain. I was like, well, fuck. It didn't work. I, 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 fuck. No, nothing's going to make this pain go away. Nothing's going to fix this anguish. Nothing's going to fix this pain. So I just said, fuck it. I'm just going to be in pain the rest of my life because nothing's going to fix this pain. So... I'm just going to be a janitor. I'm just going to give up on my life. Like I've been told I need to like be successful and have a girlfriend and have a family and get a, get a house. You know, fuck that. I'm just going to be a janitor, do nothing for, be a loser. I decided that. And I just kind of relaxed. I was like, oh, I'm going to skip the meditation for today. Fuck that. I'm not going to do that. And fuck so, meditation. Yeah. I was like, fuck that. I slept. I, I slept in. I was like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to enjoy the rest of this meditation retreat. So I remember I went to the hot springs. I was like, man, this is such a beautiful, beautiful place. And I, I was like, you know, enjoying the hot water. And I saw this centipede and it was walking along the, the cement around the hot springs. And a song from my childhood started playing this like, really relaxed song from Mario actually from Yoshi's Island uh, back when I would play that game and I was just looking at the centipede with this song going through my head and I was like the centipede isn't really trying to do anything either the centipede is just being a centipede and I was just being a human for the first time I realized I'd never done that I'd say that was the beginning that was, a, that was the first time I really felt love for myself because a lot of times throughout, this, throughout my journey trying to heal is people said, you just need to love yourself. So I would constantly try to love myself. And in trying to love myself, I was trying mm -hmm. to change myself. I was, I was just able to enjoy the hot springs. I was enjoying nature. I was observing ants and spiders and not doing anything. And that was the purpose of the meditation retreat all along. And so then I went and ate breakfast that morning. And I noticed during breakfast, I was thinking a lot. And I said, well, I gave up on life. So why am I thinking? <laughs> I was like, what am I even thinking about? I started to turn inwards. I remember I, I read this quote that they put up um, from Ajahn Chah, I think. And, and it was saying, overthinking is extreme suffering. I said, well, I'm definitely overthinking and I don't even need to. There's no reason to now. 
So what is it? And so I, I started to notice that all of these thoughts that I was having centered around trying to change myself, trying to be better, or trying to fix myself as a person, fix who I was. So I would have the thought like to where I would observe maybe insecurity in myself. And I would then think, oh, I got to get rid of that, right? So, oh, yeah, I'm, I feel insecure because blah, 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 and, I, and my childhood and blah, blah, blah. And it, all this thinking around just trying to fix my insecurity. And I was like, well, damn, that's like a form of self-hatred. So I started to, I, I decided, you know, I'm going to, every time I have a thought that comes from this kind of self-hating thought pattern where I observe something in myself and I try to change it, I'm just going to make note of it. So every time I observe the, the cycle, this, this, every time I observe um, these kind of self-hating thought patterns, I'm just going to call it out and I'm going to say, that is self-hatred. And I'm just going to accept it. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to let it be and be aware of it. So I started to do that throughout the entire day six and then the entire day seven and the entire day eight. And I just kept observing consistently. And then what would happen is I would observe sometimes my this self-hatred and then I would react to it. And part of my brain would be like, oh, I can't hate myself. I got to get rid of that. And then I'd be like, well, fuck, that's self-hatred too. Well, I got to get rid of that, right? Oh, fuck, that's self-hatred too. And it's like, it was an endless cycle, an endless paradox of me trying to hate away my self-hatred. That's when I realized just observing, not trying to change, just non-judgmentally observing, that very action is love. Wow. And that's really, yeah. And that's... <laughs> you got to digest that, don't you? Like that's right? Like that takes a while to process. Yeah. It takes it takes a while. I mean, you got to I guess you have to give yourself patience. That's what everybody talks about patience. Sometimes like people use the term patience. Oh, you just got to be patient to, I you know. That. Yeah. <laughs> he is like, "Oh my god, like no, I want fucking ice cream right now." That's what I want. <laughs> like, stop telling me to be patient. You know, whatever. I, I don't know. Maybe. No, that's maybe. impressive. So basically, yeah. wait, the moment you let go and you just stopped trying to change yourself and you started recognizing that the that was self-hatred and shame, then that's where your chronic pain left? Yeah. So, so strangely enough, during this whole time, I had already given up. I had already expected that I would have chronic pain for the rest of my life. So I stopped thinking about it. I stopped trying to fix the pain too, because I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to have it and I'm going to be a janitor. So it doesn't matter. My, my life's going to be a shitty life and then I'm going to die, whatever, who cares? So then I was like, all right, well, I might as well try to enjoy the little things, right? Because my life's going to suck. And I started to actually enjoy the things I was doing in the present instead of just trying to fix my pain all the time. And during that period of time my pain seriously diminished and it wasn't if i would really tune into my body and like be like hmm how much pain do i have right now i could probably say yeah i, I have about the same but it wasn't bothering me and i wasn't reacting to the pain 
and I was I was able to walk around and do everything without it hurting me because um I guess because I I was I wasn't using it as a distraction anymore. That is huge. Yeah. That's a huge lesson. And do you still apply that today? I use I use it, but what happened was after three or four days of this, a number of really dark realizations actually about myself where I remember one thing I observed about myself was so dark of this thing that I had, this, this um, tendency I had within me that I didn't want to admit it for like three days. I like denied it. And then I finally accepted that too. And on day nine, I, out of nowhere, just kind of growing over the course of, uh, of, the day I felt these sensations. It almost felt like anxiety in my sacral solar plexus, heart, throat, and third eye. So all of the center chakras, every chakra except the bottom and the top. And at that point I had no idea what was going on. I didn't even know chakras really were real at that time. And by midday, like after, after lunch, a little after lunch, they started to really hurt. It started to like be painful, um, like a burning sensation in all of those places on the front of my body. So I realized that my chakras were finally releasing things that wasn't acceptable to release or to feel in my previous mental state. I would have immediately tried to change it or, sh you know, shamed it away. But now that I was uh, more present and accepting myself for who I was, those chakras could release these, I think it was trauma energy. For example, when, when someone says like your solar plexus is blocked by shame, they don't mean that shame is bad and that you should not feel shame. They mean that if you don't allow yourself to feel shame, you can't allow yourself to feel the flip side of that either. So the entire solar plexus will be blocked because you won't even be able to, you won't be able to feel the energy that lies within there, good or bad. And what was happening was I was allowing myself to feel the bad, yeah, the uncomfortable sensations um, without being freaked out, without trying to fucking change it. And so therefore, um, I could then afterwards, after that flowed through, I could use the other side of that energy which is pleasure enjoyment and self-awareness and um, that was the case for all of my chakras and so by day 10 i was i was cleared up cleared up yeah but in the moment you weren't really aware of the chakras or were you in the moment you what do you mean like were you in the moment thinking about the chakras because you said you didn't really believe in them so when it happened you started to believe in them i knew about them just through research and studies, I figured they were like physical energy points. But what I, I mean, what I experienced was like so clearly caused by this psychological observation that I was doing, this very mental observation. And it was creating this effect in my bodies, in my body, um, in each of my chakras. And I couldn't before before then i never really understood 
that your mind and body were connected so intrinsically wow yeah you lived it i lived it yeah through direct experience that's when you started to believe in it like for real yeah exactly and i think that's why i say to people who who always like come to me because right now i do free life coaching i volunteer for people who have this pain um and i've i've actually helped quite a few people work through stuff but it's just people who want to and sometimes i'll get messages from people who want to come with me with like oh well, where's the proof where you know uh, well my doctor said this and uh, if you look at the 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 research klebsiella bacteria actually causes it and you know it's mercury well you know what that's fine that's fine i'm not going to argue with you uh because you have to experience it for yourself and so i'll tell them hey don't take my word for it you can literally observe everything i say about this yourself and do you think you'll be do you think you'll want to like actually start charging for doing this kind of coaching at some point in your life or do you want to keep it up volunteer Ah, that's a really good question, Lara. I don't know what the right answer is. I I have a feeling it's okay that I do donation basis, but um, but part of the part of actually the whole retreat experience that I just talked about was on that day where it was raining, where it started raining. One of the things that I said was I said to myself or to God was. I would not charge for life coaching. Oh, and that's a, that's a big one. And, and I agree with keeping it at a altruistic level because I think that money kind of changes dynamics a bit and can sometimes take away some magic from it. You know what I mean? Yes. It's it like, complicates things. Yes, 100%. Like when we were on our journey I don't know if you ran into the same situation, but almost everywhere I I went, where there was useful, beautiful spiritual knowledge and spiritual growth, was a an act of love. It was like this one milk place. They only charged us pretty much the price of food, and it was an act of service. They were giving service to us, and then. All of the monasteries I stayed at were also other very intense magical experiences. Those were free to stay at. So all of these places were done as acts of service, not for profit. And I learned most from them because I could relax and trust that they were not doing it for profit. And there was wisdom in that. And also I think the teachers in those cases we're not plagued by this underlying sense where, you know, oh, I want to get this guy to pay me or I want to get this guy as a client. You know what I mean? I have paid for spiritual teaching, though, in the past. Ralph Ruiz, the guy who I first talked to, um, the guy who, who first told me about the mind-body connection, I got him as a life coach and he was... I paid for three months of coaching with him and they were also extremely important, but it wasn't the same level of magic. It was more like a, a guidance, uh, almost instructional intellectual explanations of things. I think the magic 
really does come from love. So am I going to charge? No, I don't think I will. That's, yeah, I, that, I think that's a good decision. And I think that, I mean, it's like sponsored ads on Instagram or any kind of advertising. I don't really trust those brands versus the brands that don't do sponsoring. Because if you're, right. if you're for real, you're not doing it just for the money, then that makes you even more trustworthy. So that's crazy because it just shows how much the not focusing on a pain and the less attention and like the more you let go, the less power it has over you. Like that was such an amazing story. Mm -hmm. Perfect proof of that. When you arrived to, you know, back home to the USA, how, how was that experience? Like the whole return home? It was interesting. It was definitely interesting. So like I had opened up to love and started to really heal my wounds. I, I, I healed deep wounds because of the love of, of communities. Like I talked a lot just now about like observing myself and being in silence, but something I didn't mention was the value of being part of a community. Like on the meditation retreat, during the day we would do workouts and it was totally silent. We wouldn't talk to each other, but we, there was a small group of us that would go back in, in kind of a secluded area and do workouts. That's where I talked to that blonde girl that you were jealous of. And um, just being part of that loving community and feeling accepted really maybe for the first time in my life or not for the first time in my life but on my trip I, I felt more accepted than I had ever felt in my life and that is healing that wound that a lot of people have and like in tribal environments the whole tribe would come together to to heal people with trauma and a sense of unworthiness the whole tribe would come together and and jump around and hug each other and dance and express and you'd be part of that community and interacting and even in sexuality would be expressed too you'd flirt with girls and go through that whole thing and I just felt like I didn't get that um, at any point in my life or maybe I there was opportunities to get that but I wasn't ready for it so I really it was community at the end of the day. And like I needed people, I needed other people to accept me. And I needed to feel, I needed to be in the spotlight. I needed to be like cool and, and strong and powerful and like top dog. I needed to feel like that. And the people that I met on my journey in these places like Mindful Farm and, and the meditation retreats, they were happy to let me feel that way they were happy to give me that love because they didn't know you so like what they got from you was what they like they had no other choice they didn't know any other side of you you know so yeah that's the power of i found the same thing how amazing it is to just spend time with a community of people who who don't necessarily know everything about you who haven't seen you grown up and let yourself make new friends yeah yeah, I think there was a quality of that. And also, I think they were just really beautiful, loving people. Mm -hmm. And so, like, 
they would just give me this love, right? That's so special. And but, but I that think it was a combination me. of both, for sure. I think that without your experience on your own, just the community part on its own wouldn't have been enough. I think you needed needed both. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. So wait, how did, how was it when you went back home? When I went back home, uh, there was no there was none of that community. It was like, oh shit, I'm back for real. Um, I started to go through some real fear around my career and around my job and where my life was going. But because of what I learned in my meditation retreat, I was able to work through that. So that's probably the number one thing is being able to experience my emotions and work through it. And because of those tools that I developed on my journey of turning inward, self-reflecting, accepting what I feel, then I was able to, to grow a lot faster. And so I worked through those feelings of fear. And then when I got my job, I, I ended up going into sales because I didn't want to be in the computer all day. And so I was interacting with a ton of people, but on a much less like loving capacity. It was more of a business capacity. So I started learning lessons of like self-esteem, um, self-sufficiency, uh, you know, confidence, um, because these people were not just loving me for who I was, to be honest, they were, they, they were much less accepting of who I was. And I had to learn to be okay with that. And so seeing everyone else as a mirror for myself was, was also what I learned. So I would say, I would say that's the big thing is opening up to myself was the big one was the first one opening up to other people being mirrors is the second one. And and probably the third one would be um, opening up to the creator would be the third one. What is a creator? Um, the creator is the mind that we exist in. Like, I believe that what we exist in this universe is not separate from the creator, but actually is the creator. And this is all just happening inside the creator's mind. And so you are God. You are the creator, Lara. And I am the creator and everyone else is. And not only that, the environment that you live in, the world, the universe is the creator. Um, some people call it God. Some people, there's a million different names for it. But it's basically just acknowledging that the universe is, has created you. Therefore, you are um, God. Your, your, your mind is God. So... I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. I could get really deep into it, but those are the three big changes that happened in my life that really changed things for me. Those are huge. And um, do you think that being adopted, are, are you okay to talk about that? Yeah, definitely. I want to talk a bit about that, like how you felt about your adoption. When you shared that with us in Thailand, it was very casual. Like you sounded like you were fine with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm adopted. And then when you came back home, you told just it wasn't long before you, you called me and you were like, I met my biological parents. So do you think I have many questions around this, but do you think that uh, being adopted played any role in some of your wounds from your childhood? Definitely. Definitely. In what way? Um, I don't exactly know. I don't know what is me due to my personality or due to maybe early childhood and what's due to the fact that I never knew my parents 
and that as a baby, you develop this connection to your mother in the womb, a deep connection. Uh, you're, you're essentially the first woman that you trust and rely on then gives you away and you're torn from her and the baby has no fucking clue what happened. And, you know, it's impossible to explain that to baby. All the baby knows is this woman that it trusted to, to meet its needs is no longer meeting those needs. And then now it's alone and it has to fend for itself basically. And so my adopted parents took me in and they provided me what I needed because they're amazing people. Um, and, um, and so I love them as my parents and I, and I grew up with them being my parents, but you know, there's still that deep trauma and that deep hurt that's on a baby level. And how do you like heal your inner baby? We hear a lot about the inner child, but how do you heal your inner baby? You can't even talk to it. You know, that's interesting because yes. I agree that there are a lot of wounds that we're not even aware of, we're not conscious of, and somehow they affect a lot of us. But how can we fucking tap into that? Psychology is supposed to tap into that psychoanalysis, but come on. Like, how can we tap into things that we don't even remember? Especially, we, we don't take into account how being in the womb and how whoever carried us the first few months affects us and of course it does we just don't remember but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect us right <laughs> yeah like, yeah 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 cut off a baby's foreskin they, they can't talk so they won't remember this yeah so no harm done <laughs> no no for sure i know the for well i mean there's talk of even a pregnant woman if she's stressed and angry all the time that baby growing in her womb is gonna come out with things that he won't even know like anger issues i don't know i mean there's mm -hmm. i i don't know this is an interesting topic that is worth researching more on i do agree that like it's the energy thing uh, energies stick with us for sure from the moment we're in the belly to when we're born in their first few years they're vital the way we like if, if a baby hears a lot of screaming or loud noises anything the environment they're in um, right. That's going to play, that's going to impact that person. Exactly. Yeah. You remember it on an emotional level. So, what made you want to meet your parents in that moment? I had started thinking about my parents back just after college. I started thinking about my birth parents. It met, like, so you, as an adopted person, you can get, or I, I guess you can contact your birth parents when you're 18. That's how the agency that I was adopted through did it. And I think that's how all adoptions work. Um, although I may not be 100% correct on that. So when I turned 18, I actually, I think it was when I was like 19 or 20, I started to realize, well, okay, the people who gave birth to me are definitely aware of how old I am. And they don't know me or where I am but they know that I've just turned 18 already and I haven't reached out to them yet. So I bet it's kind of stressful for them that they have no fucking clue any day I could reach out to them or they could go their whole life and never know who the hell I am. And that was when I first started thinking about it. And I started thinking like, what if I was to meet someone who 
comes from the same stuff, the same genetic stuff that I do and has the same issues and tics and, and personality traits and, um, and loves and interests that I do, you know, on a deep level. And I started to say, man, I don't know. I don't know really who I am. What if they learned some lessons that I desperately need in life? And I would have learned those lessons if I could have interacted with them a little bit. But since I've never met them, I don't know. I have no fucking clue what I need to do for myself to be happy. Um, I also started to realize, like, damn, it, it felt weird, too. It felt weird to imagine someone who's like me. Because at the time, I really did deeply hate myself. And that was through no fault of my adopted parents. That was just what I was dealing with at the time. Do you think that maybe the self-hatred and shame, which is, I think, the key, two key words I've always heard you talk about more than anyone else I know. <laughs> Do you think that maybe... I, this is just me throwing some something out 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 in the air. Um, maybe it was your like inner child feeling that way without you being aware of it by yes. being adopted. Definitely, yeah. My I was told that my parents were too young to take care of me, so it was never it was never something conscious, but it was an emotional feeling, like yeah, that the abandonment feeling I think is still there, right? Yes, yes, one hundred percent. And so have you met other adopted people? Yeah. And do you have they had the same experience or the same kind of feelings as you? Yeah. Yeah, there's some people I I see parallels a lot of times in this like identity issue where then your ego comes in and really plays a huge role in making you feel wanted and good enough and like you have value and I observe it. I observed it in myself. And I oftentimes observe it in other people who are adopted. And sometimes it's not as obvious. Sometimes it manifests as other things. Like I know an adopted guy who was so addicted to drugs. And but talking to him, he was like de absolutely delightful to talk to, you know, so it can manifest your pain manifests in different ways for each person. So what was it like meeting them? Well, so how, how it happened was I decided that I wanted to reach out to the agency. So I had the conversation with my parents and my parents were super supportive. My mom was like, yeah, definitely. You can definitely reach out to your, here, you know, here's the adoption agency we used. Uh, you can call this number. It's they're a really great organization. So I give them a call. Uh, actually, I didn't give them a call right afterwards. I kind of rested on that and I was like, okay. It's good to know that I can call them at any time. I, I don't have to go through some deep digging to find them. So then I went about a year without contacting them. This was, uh, and when I came back from my trip, I decided to reach out and I contacted the woman at the agency and she said, oh yeah, your mother's name, I can't tell you your mother's name yet, but if you write a letter, well, I, I will give it to her. And you can include any, you know, your name in there or, or whatever. And she said, I am looking in your record. And actually your birth mom reached out to you, to, to us, trying to get in contact with you. She reached out like a few years ago. And like that, I, I couldn't believe that. Like I, that made me start crying. Yeah, I would have cried too, for sure. 
for sure yeah and so i was like what was she reaching out about and she said well you have you have uh two half brothers and a half sister <laughs> i was like what the fuck I, that just like was like wow i never imagined someone else like me you know like really In like your own blood who I was. because you wait you had a sister right you have a sister that you grew up with. I have a sister, yeah. And did you feel that difference in like personality or just physical attributes? I don't know. Did you feel that uh, separation? Definitely, inevitably, inevitably. Any adopted person is going to feel alienation and, and it's hard too because then they feel like they can't talk about it because it's going to hurt their adopted parents or their adopted sister or their adopted brother. And it's gonna, it's gonna make, you know, they want to protect their adopted parents. So they don't even reach out about it and they stuff it down. That's the saddest part. So yeah, luckily my parents were like super supportive and not hurt at all. I definitely had to be careful and express to them. So they knew I would always view them as my parents. I think my mom um, at some point was um somewhat worried that she was losing me and so i definitely had to be aware and of that and and reassure them um, or i wanted to i didn't have to i could do whatever i wanted but um, i wanted to reassure her and so anyways i reached out and i, I wrote this letter to my birth mom uh, I can't remember what I said. I said like, oh, I've, I've wanted to meet you now for a few years. And I saw that you reached out and I, I'd really like it if you contacted me. And so I gave it to the adoption agency and moved on. In about 10 days, I get a message on Facebook from someone named Kim. And she said, is it really you? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, your I'm, your, I'm your birth mom. How fun of her. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, shit. And like, we started talking over Messenger, found out I have some sisters. I found out who my dad's, my birth dad's name was, uh, Scott Sullivan. And um, it was really, it was just like really exciting. And I, I had known, I think it would have really messed with me if I was younger. I don't think I was ready for that experience when I was younger. But now that I was older and I'd worked through a lot of stuff in myself, uh, it wasn't so intense. You know, it wasn't such an emotional roller coaster. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Why? Wait, why do you think that is? I don't know. You're just more mature and more conscious. Yeah. You know, and had gone through it. I mean, it's just amazing. I think that year was very powerful for you or those two years because... It was like by steps, right? First it was Ecuador, the fun, the new language community. Then it was meditation and India and Sri Lanka. And like even the experience with the girl you followed, like learning that experience because that's still a lesson. And mm -hmm. then it was coming back home, figuring out the career stuff and meeting your parents. Like you, you'd already done this, this huge spiritual path. And it's um, it was like when I heard about it, I was like, what? Well, when you told me about it, I was like, that's perfect that you're doing that now. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's like a, such a w good way to even like bring closure to your spiritual 
spiritual journey. Ah, yeah. You know? I guess in a way it was. And remember, like, not long after that, you called me. I don't know how long that went, how much time went by. I'm never going to forget when you called me and you were like, Lara, I'm caught between these two jobs. <laughs> and I'm yeah. afraid of selling out to the nine to five again because you'd been working, uh, teaching online for, for a while and like living a little more like relaxed and like dog sitting and you said you felt free from the corporate life and fuck the corporate life and stuff like like mm -hmm. you this is before you got into sales like you you were you were in between two jobs yeah i had to basically decide okay stay in california where i i love the weather and i feel drawn to and my heart seems to be drawing me to to sea camp which is helping kids and loving the ocean and getting into marine biology and observing animals it was just it was like perfect but i wouldn't make any money or do i go back to boston where i had a bunch of friends a lot of contacts and um near my family and go back to doing what society wants from me which is making bank and that was your big dilemma yeah, that's exactly correct. And so then, yeah, I called you. Uh, I remember I was just like, fucked up. I was so confused at that time. Yeah. And um, you, are you saying that you, it might have been better for you to take the other option? Yeah, definitely. Why? Because it would have brought me closer to what I want in life, which is um, a more heart-centered a more heart-centered life. But you didn't know that then, right? I did not. I knew that my heart was drawing me to Sea Camp. I didn't know why. I got the... Like, when you called me, I, I guided you towards the corporate job because it seemed like you want... Your heart was guiding you towards that one. When you clear... When you said something like, and I'll never forget it, you said, I'm just so sick and tired of being spiritual <laughs> yeah i was man and i, I was really like well was. then go for the other job like you're not going to be a sellout remember that was your biggest concern being a sellout yeah yeah i think i i don't know i guess i will never really know what my life will look like if i had made a different choice but um i learned i i developed confidence in this job which is something really, really useful. And like, I feel so much more powerful from this job. Uh, but now I still, it's like, I, I still haven't built what I want for my life, which is something that really helps people on a deep level. Um, so I guess I, I learned a lot of really good lessons, but uh, I still need to find out what to do next. So I still have that dilemma. Well, that's the thing i mean i think we have that uh b back in the old days you did a job and you stuck for in it for 50 years and that was successful and now we don't have to now we can um like i think a career now and i think it's better for us you we we can continue to explore you learned from it and now you can continue on and and that'll come to you like we don't have to force it like i think that was a huge lesson that you revealed here is that we don't have to force things they they will come to us as long as we set out that intention like okay i've made a lot of money i've worked in this and now i'm ready for what's next like guide me to what's next yes 
and something will pop up for you. Definitely. All I know is that like whatever, yeah, whatever you decide really doesn't matter. You really are not, that's not the, I honestly think the most important thing is the relationships and the people that you meet. If you're like, if someone's listening to this and like hemming and hawing over decisions or a a big decision in their life, like it can seem so scary and you can seem torn and you can almost like torture yourself over it. But really, it doesn't matter. Either way, you're going to still be you and you're still going to be drawn towards what's most important in life, which is love. Everything else is just extra that is huge and i am the number one person who has underestimated that and i'm only realizing now how important it is to foster those relationships and nurture them and like keep them going and how how happy i get i used to think that i was fine on my own and um and and i only gave priority to a relationship with one man like that's so unhealthy and so I put all of my needs on that one person socially. And now, now I'm realizing how happy. Like, I've never been as social in my life. Like, this social in my mm. life. Like, all weekend I'm doing something. Woo! Yeah. And um, it has to do with me being single. Because norm, if, if I had stayed in that relationship, I would have still been with that one person every all weekend. And that's not healthy. I'm only realizing that now. Uh, interesting. So... Now you're kind of having fun, right? You're not trying to get anywhere, get anything from men, correct? Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm really not, like, I don't have expectations. I think it would freak me out. I, I, I like someone right now, and I'll talk to you about, you know what, we should wrap this up. <laughs> it's been two oh. hours, and now we can, we can just talk. Yeah, yeah, time for me to be vulnerable. <laughs> okay, stop recording. Uh, no, I've been, I've been <laughs> no, vulnerable. No, you've been super Come vulnerable. I'm just I'm just worried about the the yeah. time, but I wanted to ask. So, how did it change you to meet your parents? How did that experience change you? Um, I guess I saw with my birth mother. I guess I kind of worked through some feelings of resentment that I still have that I didn't realize I have, and she also. I think it was really good for her to talk to speak to me. I think at one point she really did want to like maybe even unconsciously want to be my mom and I made it clear to her that that I already had a mom wow that must have been tough for her I mean um yeah it might have been I I guess I will never I could ask her do you stay in touch yeah we were still in touch but she has totally accepted that boundary and we have a really good relationship. We, we talked on the phone for a really long time, uh, a month or two ago, and it was a really great conversation. So it's just basically she's someone that I can go to. I know she has my my genes, and she, I can kind of just bounce things off to her. She has really, really interesting, good insight into emotions and people. So it's kind of like talking to... Um, my own emotional side or um, she's so in touch with her emotions and understanding other people it is inspiring to talk to her and then with my dad my birth dad I 
I'm literally exactly like him. It's like we're copies of the same person. <laughs> and That's crazy. We, it's fucking, it's unreal. He, he'll, he might listen to this and he would be like thinking that he heard himself. And like whenever I, I read his writing, he wrote me a letter uh, that I read that my parents gave me a while back. And it was like reading my own writing that I didn't remember writing. It was just so wow. strange. That's special. That's so special. Yeah. So that must be so special for you, for you to see that for the first time as an adult, because when we grow up with our biological parents, we don't notice those things, mm-hmm. you know, right. We're used to it. We don't see it, but you, you met the person for the first time. And you, I think you, I mean, how did that feel? Um, it felt nice. <laughs> it felt nice. Yeah. It was like, well, damn, like, Cause we're both crazy we've always like i was telling him like yeah people thought i was a little crazy in college and he was like dude same with me and it's nice to know that like he's so he's so happy and successful he has a beautiful wife and uh, kind of like a family he doesn't have any biological kids other than me but um very very like mature um strong really strong and really focused and aware and spiritual as well and just seeing like that yeah i i'm going through this kind of this period of changes but it's worth it and like i'm gonna grow up to be someone who's very wise and can bring a lot of light into the world that is a it is a nice a nice realization yeah, you didn't run into a big, like, disappointing surprise. Yeah. You liked them. Yeah. That's lucky, right? Lucky, because maybe a lot of people don't even have that luck when they meet their biological parents. It is, and some people will, will meet their biological parents, and it'll be a disaster. I expected that it would be a disaster as well, that they would be, you know, addicted to drugs, or maybe they were dead. I mean, I knew that I was a little crazy, and so... I assumed that they were going to be a little crazy too. So it surprised me when they were very normal people. Um, Did that help with your identity? Like, and shame and self-hatred? Like, did you love yourself more after that and and feel like you knew yourself more through meeting them? I did. But it wasn't as visceral and intense and real as all of, as pretty much what we've been talking the the other things the meditation and the spiritual stuff okay so it it played like a small part yeah it was more familial and i think it did help on an emotional level but it was more the result it was more the result of a lot of work i did internally it's like i did a lot of work on myself and my identity and it was me reaching out to my parents was to my birth parents was the result of me having done a lot of identity work and understanding that's myself. interesting so it's like almost like that's great. yeah it's, it's like the next the only thing there was to do next was find out what they're like so it wasn't that that healed me it's that i healed and i reached out to them you're ready now you're healed you're ready and now you're open to that experience wow that's huge to see that like normally you would think that it would be the other way around but that's 
that's so interesting so to wrap up where are you now spiritually mentally like do you think you'll ever do another trip like that again or was this the where are you now um where am i now i will definitely do another trip like that i don't know when it's gonna be i want to spend like 30 to 60 days in total silence i am in such a good place emotionally and spiritually i have confidence i feel like i really know myself pretty well so when life throws me these curveballs and i start feeling like pissed off or angry or confused i can reflect and say hey this is just how i feel right now and let it be and usually i'm when you like let those emotions flow through you and exist in you as long as they need to be you end up learning or i guess seeing your life and the situation a lot differently from like a more zoomed out view, a more clear view. But I'm also struggling right now with um, with things regarding what I want to do. I I feel such strong love for humanity, and I feel so good when I help people. And right now, I'm in a sales job, which is centric around um, taking and making profits. So I want to use those lessons that I developed being a salesperson and learning confidence and self-esteem and, and proficiency. And I want to use that to do enormous good in the best way that I can. And that's what I'm struggling with right now. Next challenge, your next step. Yeah. So that when, when you achieve that, then I'll be podcasting with you then. Oh, well, that sounds good. (laughs) Just to get, okay. How did you do it? Because that's, I think the, one of the biggest challenges is finding that, uh, how to mix our purpose, our life purpose with something that we enjoy and we like our calling and with the money. That's our biggest challenge for sure. Definitely. Definitely. So many of us are on that journey right now, like our age and honestly, good on you, Lara, for fucking doing this podcast. Like, <laughs> I, I'm so impressed that you're doing this. Seriously. Well, you'd been hearing about it forever. I mean, I've been recording our conversations. I have all our conversations since Bangkok, I think. No way. You've been recording? Yeah. I remember I would tell you when we, every time we had a call, I'd be like, Kyle, do you mind me recording this? You know, maybe for my podcast. Who knows? Might might be of use. That's are you going to use any of those recordings? Like me, like being like, I don't know what I, I don't know what to do next. Is that going to be interesting? Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. <laughs> um. So when we're not doing a podcast, we'll talk about you. And I, I think there's more stuff that I want to hear from you. Yeah, for sure. But I really wanted to share you with people this is the thing about this podcast is i get to share people that i that have so much value and insight like everything you shared had so much value in it and we you actually like you never told me a lot of this stuff um as friends so i I thought this would be a little repetitive for me and it wasn't at all yeah i got so much out of it and i'm sure other people will too that's amazing thank you so much yeah thank you for this wonderful experience Bye, Lara.